welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Today I'm chatting with Charles Battersby, freelance writer at Complex Media, Automaton.am, Dusty Cartridges, and co-founder of Press XY. Hello, Charles. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? Great, thanks. How are you? I'm really good. So you and I first met at PAX East 2013 when we were on a panel together that Navigator put together about the best games of 2012. Gosh, that seems so long ago now. <laughs> yes, back when uh, Walking Dead by Telltale Games was the cool new trend in adventure games. I know, the revival of point and click. Who saw that coming? <laughs> And, of course, I just saw you at PAX East 2015, though you may not have seen me. That's not creepy. You were on stage, and I was in the audience. Yes, I, I did a few panels there, uh, so there were quite a few people lurking in the audience that I couldn't necessarily see. <laughs> there have been several PAX East, at least, uh, that you have spoken on issues of transgender topics as well, right? Uh, yes, uh, I founded the organization Press XY, which uh, does panels at uh, PAX and some other conventions. And we deal with um, transgender game characters, transgender game designers, uh, how to treat your transgender coworkers. Uh, and I've also done a couple of other panels on uh, gaming as it relates to theater and interactive art. Oh, wow, that's fascinating. I wish I had attended more of those. Oh, yeah, we did a, a play reading of one of my plays, which is done in the style of Fallout and Bioshock. Can these panels be found online? Were they recorded? Um, almost everything that PressXY does has been recorded and is on PressXY.com. Uh, if you go to my personal website, CharlesBattersby.com, you can hear some audio recordings of some of the plays I've done. Excellent. And I'll be speaking with one of your fellow panelists this summer, or not speaking with her, but hearing her speak. She'll be a, the keynote speaker at Kansas Fest 2015. That is Becky Heineman. Yes. Uh, Becky is also one of the core members of Press XY. Um, she jumped in back when I was first putting it together in 2011, and she's been on virtually every panel that we've done since then. I'm very excited because Kansas Fest is an Apple II convention for those who remember that 30-year-old machine, and she is a celebrity for all the games that she made back then. Yes, Berger Heinemann uh, created, uh, single-handedly created many games uh, from, from the old days, uh, and she and Chanel Jaquez are now uh, making a bunch of new projects. I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about their, their new game, um, but uh, they, they have a new project coming up. Well, I'll just have to get them on the show later. <laughs> uh, but today I'm speaking with you and specifically about your PAX East panel, The End Boss Doesn't Exist, Atheism in Video Games. This was a panel I very much wanted to attend and could not because it was sold out. It was so popular. Uh, yes, I, I would like to think that it, everyone came just to hear me talk, uh, but the truth is I, I had two incredible panelists with me, uh, Chris Avalone from Obsidian Games and uh, Ken Levine uh, from Irrational Games. I very much want to talk all about that panel and the guests that you had, Ken Levine and Chris Avalone, but I also want to start off with some basic terminology. Uh, can you help us ex understand, for those who may only have a passing familiarity with the terms, what exactly is atheism? There are many different kinds, I understand. Uh, yes, there are different factions of atheists. Uh, in general, atheism is the disbelief in gods and the supernatural. Uh, a couple of the term, terms that we've used uh, in our panel uh, and that we'll be discussing here today, uh, there is agnosticism, which is not the outright disbelief of the supernatural or disbelief in gods. It's uncertainty. So it's a, it's a lack of faith and an open-mindedness that, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Uh, then there is weak atheism, uh, and despite the, the term weak, uh, weak atheism is what people generally regard as atheism. It's a disbelief in gods and the supernatural. Uh, then there is strong atheism, which is uh, actively disproving a specific belief. So I, I won't pick on any specific religion, um, but let's just look at... Um, you know, people a thousand years ago believed that lightning bolts were Thor throwing his hammer at cowards and weaklings. So strong atheism would be specifically pointing out where lightning bolts come from and that they are not a hammer thrown by a guy flying up in the clouds. Now, some people I know, they're not comfortable identifying as atheists because they come from a scientific mindset and they feel it's not possible to prove a negative. So they choose to identify as agnostic instead. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, scientists who maintain an open mind. 
so atheism is not necessarily an attack on religion. Uh, it's often just a disbelief in something that hasn't been proven yet one way or the other. And often religions will cite very specific things, uh, you know, Thor is throwing the lightning bolt, or this particular holy relic was created on this particular date by this particular person. And some of those things can be actively disproven, like carbon dating a particular relic, or looking at uh, fossil records or geological records of whether or not a flood occurred at a particular time. And so scientists can actively disprove certain things and other things, well, maybe it happened. And another term that I understand is relevant is deism. Uh, yes, deism is uh, a term that is used in a lot of games. It's the belief that there was a god, uh, a supernatural being that created the universe and set everything in motion. But at some point in the past, that god stopped actively participating in the world and humanity's lives. So it's something that uh, before atheism became widespread, it was a popular philosophy in the 19th century where people observed that it doesn't seem like God is answering prayers or that there's any measurable direct influence from God, but that didn't necessarily prove that there never was a God. So in a lot of games, uh, you'll see concepts where the elder gods have abandoned humanity. So it's a magical fantasy world where the gods used to exist and created all these wondrous things around us, but they're not there anymore, and they're not something that the player needs to worry about. And a game that uh, focused very strongly on deism is Dragon Age. Uh, the whole Dragon Age franchise deals with the notion that at some point in the past, humanity outraged the Maker, and now the Maker has turned its back on humanity. So the remnants of religion from a thousand years ago are still trying to find a way to bring the Maker back. Uh, and magic still exists in the world, but it's a different kind of magic that doesn't necessarily come directly from the Maker. And in Dragon Age Inquisition, some of the role-playing aspects allow the player to specifically say, no, I'm not divine, I'm not the chosen one, I'm just a person with a new kind of magic. It seems like deism would be more commonplace in RPGs than in other genres of video games. Is that true? Uh, yeah, it's, it's often uh, it's often used in RPGs. Uh, you know, if you are creating a game and building a world where you want to have you know wondrous things that are happening that aren't explained by strictly historical fiction, then it's a, a great idea to have your your gods or magic powers uh, have gone away for some reason, leaving behind their artifacts or leaving behind some effect that the player character can use. Now, in those RPGs, which is entirely fabricated, the gods can be as real or as unreal as the writers and producers wish them to be. In Dragon Age and notably God of War, the gods are real. So I imagine that atheism isn't quite as founded or as contextually appropriate in those kinds of games. Right. Uh, in something like God of War, uh, for listeners who don't know of it, you play uh, a magical hero in a world where the Greek gods exist, and the storyline over the, the course of the games is that you go out and you fight and kill the gods. So in that particular world, the gods definitely exist. There, there is no atheism. But it does involve uh, an irreverent character. So even though the gods exist, your role as the player is to specifically not worship them. You're going to go out and meddle in the gods' affairs, and kill them or steal their power. That doesn't even seem possible in the gods that we deal with here in the real world. I mean, we attack the concept of god, but we don't actually go and engage in fisticuffs with some supernatural deity. Yeah, it, it's a difference between modern religion and the religions of you know the prehistoric world or the Bronze Age. Uh, if you look at a lot of mythologies, and you know our our mythologies were once someone's religion, and in fact, people still do worship uh, some of the old world gods. Uh, but if you look at you know the old myths from two, three thousand years ago, you do see that the gods were depicted as more human and actively meddling in the affairs of humans on a regular basis. So as far as real-world religions go, their influence on many forms of art is difficult to ignore. You walk into almost any art museum, you can see the influence that art has played over the centuries. It doesn't seem to be quite so apparent in video games. Sure, the concept of religion is evident in games that you and I have just discussed, Dragon Age and God of War, but real-world religion doesn't really seem to have as much influence on video games as it does on other art media. Am I overlooking something? 
Well, uh, you're you're mostly correct. Um, religion does play a really strong part in you know all of our culture. So a lot of turns of phrase that we use, they come back to the Bible or just principles of how to be a good person are based on you know core religious principles. Uh, but game developers often try to avoid religion. It's a taboo subject that can often offend people. So if you depict a particular uh, religious location getting blown up by aliens, or if you speculate on how would this religious group respond to, you know, a certain event occurring, it could uh, really alienate a large section of the customer base. So uh, uh, popular culture in general can be very shy of tackling religion. And also, if you have too much religion, if you have the, the player character constantly praying and being rewarded for their pr- uh, prayer, that can alienate players that aren't really religious. That seems interesting because movies, music, art, they draw upon religion liberally and very often respectfully in ways that the religious community approve of and engage in. I mean, you can go to Christian music festivals, for example, and I don't mean to call out any one religion, but you, you don't really have Christian video games as much unless you're counting maybe Bible adventures, which is almost 30 years old now, and I can't think of a more recent example. Well, if you look at, um, there were some games that are based on Dante's Inferno, for example, uh, and there are quite a few of those. Uh, so religion does bleed over into games on occasion. Uh, it's still a taboo subject, but if you look at uh, the core classes within most fantasy games, it all goes back to Dungeons & Dragons with that original cleric class. There is a premise that there is magic user magic, and then there is divine magic that the clerics have. And if you flip through an old D&D uh, spell book, you'll see that everything the clerics do, that's drawn from something that Moses or Jesus did in the Bible. So you call down the pillar of flame, uh, you part the seas, you resurrect people, turn your staff into snakes. So a lot of these things do come into, uh, you know, they are religious-based. Uh, we're just so accustomed to seeing those concepts that we don't acquaint it necessarily with being religious. Right. When we see magic being done, we're more likely to think of Gandalf than Jesus. <laughs> yes. Although even within Tolkien, um, Gandalf is actually a divine being who's given up most of his divine power and come to Earth. So a lot of the magic that's implied within Lord of the Rings or other fantasy worlds is actually uh, implied to be of a divine nature. I wonder if maybe the lack of influence religion has had on video games overtly is due to there not being an audience. I read a 2012 study that suggested that atheists prefer video games while the religious prefer board games. Do you think there's any truth to that? Uh, yeah, in my uh, anecdotal experience, there's been, uh, you know, there's a disproportionately large number of atheists within the video gamer community. Hmm. Do you think there's any reason for that that you can think of? I, I think it might just be the left brain mindset that uh, if you're drawn to technology and computers, you might be more drawn to the logical and rational rather than uh, the poetic and abstract nature of religion and mythology. So there are a lot of books and arguments and people who feel that church and science can coexist, that you can be a believer of both or you can practice both, but very often those arguments are founded here in the real world, whereas video games very often employ fantasy and science fiction where almost anything can go. So is there a place for religion in games or is there more of a need for atheism in games? Well, religion is still going to be part of the human experience for centuries to come. And in science fiction stories, you do have to ask, is our, is our game so far ahead of the current human civilization that people won't be religious anymore? And some games have directly addressed this. If you play Mass Effect, one of the characters, Ashley, she's uh, an ordinary small-town girl who's joined the Space Marines, and she's still very religious. And if you explore her dialogue enough in the first game, she will point out that she feels her religious viewpoint isn't entirely welcomed in the future. And so when it's a science fiction setting, sometimes science fiction writers just don't think to write in religious characters because the writer themselves is an atheist or not particularly religious. But in terms of 200, 300, 500 years from now, will people still be religious even when we're living on Mars? Uh, Yeah, I do think we will see uh, religious people out in space in the distant future. One of my favorite 
plot lines in science fiction ever has been Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which very much deals with that intersection where one of the main characters is a religious icon, yet he refuses to accept that identity because it's been thrust upon him by a religion he doesn't believe in. Yes, that's that's also a core principle of uh, – well, it's a core principle of one of the ways you can play Dragon Age Inquisition. So if in that game you can choose to say, yes, I am the Herald of Andraste. Do as I command. Or you can say, no, 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 I, I swear I'm just some random person that had a glowing green woman standing over me. One of the things that this podcast talks about often is representation of women in video games. Do we need more representation of atheism in video games? Well, I think most games have a principle that the player can uh, project their their atheism onto the character if they want. So in most games, you are not required to play a devoutly religious person. And you can just presume that any character that doesn't panel or talking about experiences in being an atheist. Absolutely. But as we indicated, a person's individual beliefs can certainly influence the work they create as well. Yes, that, that is uh, one of the problems that if you are uh, a non-believer and you have to write a group of characters that have a religion, or if you have to create a whole bunch of religions for your world, it can be very difficult to get into the mindset of the different religious sects. And if you have to create you know, nine different gods plus 19 different demigods for your world, then you have to draw on real-world mythology uh, or just presume what people might think rather than being able to write very subjectively. Yet at the same time, if you are a subscriber to a real-world religion and you need to describe or create an entire pantheon and rituals and practices for a fantasy world, I would hope that you wouldn't draw solely on your own beliefs because that kind of makes it difficult for the player to suspend their disbelief and engage in this fantasy world. Like if, as you just said, the Hobologists were a clear metaphor for Scientology and it doesn't sound like they probably needed to do a lot of research for that or be very imaginative or creative. Uh, that's true. Uh, a lot of what they're doing is just taking existing Scientology material and repurposing it with fake names or drawing on real events. Uh, this was the time when you know Tom Cruise's Scientology was a big deal. And within the game, there are references to movie stars being uh, hubologists. Uh, but I think that both uh, Ken and Chris did a terrific job with actually representing religion within their games. Uh, during the panel, one of the things Ken mentioned was that he got a, a message from a woman who had converted to Mormonism after playing Bioshock Infinite, which it wasn't his intention to do that. It was his intention to represent the uh, fictional religion of Columbia as you know a negative influence, but he did such a earnest and authentic presentation of the, the baptism metaphor that someone converted uh, to Mormonism because of that. And Chris has also uh, done a, a number of projects that have worked with Mormonism. Uh, in a couple of the Fallout games, there is still Mormonism in the Midwest in the 23rd century. And he, uh, he does a very reverent uh, DLC pack that's based around one of the Mormon characters. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful experience to play. Uh, the first time I played it, I saw this Mormon guy who was leading one faction, and my immediate response as a player was, oh, this is the bad guy. I'm going to kill him and all of his followers. And then the next time I played it, I actually stopped and paid attention to what the NPCs were saying and realized, oh, this actually makes sense. This is the good guy. I'm going to do what this guy wants. Why did you assume he was the bad guy? Well, uh, being an atheist player, my immediate assumption was, oh, it's the religious kooks. They're going to want me to go do something or the other. And I didn't even bother giving them a chance. I just assumed uh, this must be my cue from the designer that this faction are the bad guys and the religious fanatics. Now, in the case of Ken Levine's customer who converted religions after playing his game, did he take that as a compliment to the quality of his story writing, or was his reaction more, no, you totally missed the point? <laughs> well, he didn't go into details with it, but, but he did point out that it was a surprise to him, and it wasn't his intention for people to play the first level of Bioshock Infinite and have a religious experience. The reason I asked about their particular religious persuasions is because you mentioned Scientology and Tom Cruise, and I have 
friends who will not patronize any film Tom Cruise is in because they don't want their dollars to trickle back to him and thus to his church. And I'm wondering, have you ever heard of an instance of a video game being boycotted either due to its religious contents or lack thereof or the religious persuasion of its creators or lack thereof? Well, I remember when the first Assassin's Creed game was announced, uh, and for players who haven't played that franchise, it its roots and its storyline date back to the Assassins during the Crusades. So when it was first announced with its story and its setting, there were some people that were hostile to it because, you know, it's got to be an Al-Qaeda indoctrination simulator. And so people were a little hesitant about the franchise when it first appeared. And I'm sure there have been other cases um, I do recall a phony protest that was staged where uh, some people pr- were paid to pretend to be religious fanatics and pretended to boycott some game, which I think was one of the Dante's Inferno uh, adaptations. So if people want to use real-world religions in their games, you know, Chris used Scientology in Fallout 2, that may not be the most respectful implementation of a real-world religion. Did this panel discuss how religion can be pulled into a fictional game in a respectful fashion? Um, yes. Um, you know, both of them have done a pretty good job of, of actually representing the real-world religions. Um, you know, Mormonism, both of them did a terrific job with that. Uh, but there, there's a hesitation there. Um, in, you know, specifically with both of them, we're a little hesitant to use real-world religions. And also, uh, if you look at um, uh, the Dragon Age franchise, you know, there's a very clear catholic analogy there so for the dead space games uh, they use unitology and those developers have thoroughly denied that it's an actual spoof of scientology so there are a lot of developers that are just afraid to directly state yes this is based on a real world religion and again is that because they don't want to offend anybody Uh, they're afraid of offending people they're afraid it's going to hurt their sales they're afraid that they'll get sued outright by some organizations what sort of feedback did you get from the audience? I imagine that you had a Q&A at this PAX panel. Uh, yes, we did. Um, uh, one of the more interesting questions was someone that asked about, uh, do we think we'll ever see a game with a satanic protagonist? Which, uh, you know, the question kind of threw the three panelists. Um, there have been a lot of games where your character uses dark magic. Uh, there are a lot of games where, you know, your character has demonic powers that you've got because you're half demon. And uh, the Devil May Cry series uh, uses this repeatedly, but there's a lot of other games where you, you know, summon your demonic abilities uh, to fight, you know, bad guys who turn out to be the angelic hosts. So uh, there are games that use those references, but to have a game where your character is overtly a Satanist fighting against all that's good and holy in the world, uh, that's something we hadn't seen, and we thought it was an interesting question. Now, that question itself would require some terminology to be defined, because from what little I know, Satanism isn't necessarily the worship of Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness and the prince of lies. It is sort of like the antithesis of religion. Is that your understanding? That was my understanding of, of what the question asker was asking us about. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of games, uh, we mentioned God of War, where your character is irreverent and fights the gods, and there are plenty of Japanese role-playing games where the end boss is God himself, and you have to level up to level 999 and, you know, defeat God. Uh, but I don't think I've seen something where, from a story perspective, your character is the, antith- the antithesis of all that's good in the world, and you're going out to just you know, be evil for the sake of being evil. (laughs) I'm not sure that's what Satanism is necessarily either, but I do understand that uh, we certainly do have video games where you are an anti-hero, but that's still something different. Uh, The closest I can think of is a PAX East panel I did called, and uh, one of the panelists was the developer of a game called Quest for Infamy. And again, in that game, you're not going around murdering everybody. It's just sort of a parody of Quest for Glory, where you're trying to become a hero, an old point-and-click adventure game. And you just want to do a game where maybe you're not such a great guy. <laughs> yeah, there, there are quite a few games that have a, a negative karma path or a dark side of the force path. And uh, often those will have a, a dark sense of humor to them. 
speak about their religion is going to be atheist as well. So I don't think we need more representation. It's more just a question of players being comfortable with projecting themselves into it or not having characters that are specifically extremely religious. And I think the game industry is doing a really good job of letting players make that decision for themselves. Right, because when I'm playing as Nathan Drake or Lara Croft, those issues don't really come up. Well, actually, it's interesting that you mention that, because in those games, very often the character is a skeptic at the start of their adventure. And then at the end of the journey, they'll find out, oh, magic is real, or the ancient gods are real. And so in those kind of stories, uh, the player can you know, quite readily identify with the character at the beginning, and then maybe have the rug pulled out from under them if the narrative designer is a little too pushy with their religion. That's true, because even in the N.N. Jones movies, Indy himself, I don't think he's one religion or the other or any religion, but he's very often dealing with religious artifacts that prove to be true, like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail. Yes. And in those cases, that's the huge plot twist that comes at the end of the first movie. And by the time the third movie had rolled around, the audience is so accustomed to Indy living in a magical world that it's not a big deal. But in the first movie, that was the big revelation at the end. Now, I didn't feel that those films were particularly preaching a certain religion, and maybe that represents my own background or my own perspective in viewing those films, but is that something that uh, the atheist community might have difficulty engaging with because they don't feel themselves represented when a game or a movie takes a religion as gospel? It, <laughs> Yes, as gospel. Um, so you're drawn to a game because of its science fiction themes. Uh, if it's presented as a purely science fiction storyline from the beginning and then suddenly introduces religious or supernatural elements at the end, then it can feel like you've been hoodwinked and you were in one mindset and now the writer is demanding that you take on another mindset. Uh, when it comes to something like Indiana Jones, it had always been implied right from the beginning of the story that characters within that movie definitely believe the Ark of the Covenant has special powers. So when it's finally revealed that they're right, it's a little bit of the rug being pulled out from under the viewer, but they've been warned all along. And in something like uh, the 2003 revamp of Battlestar Galactica, at the very end, uh, spoiler alert, at the very end, we learn that there are supernatural elements to the story. But those supernatural elements were implied right from the beginning, from you know that first little miniseries. The audience is told all of these characters are religious and deeply believe in the Cylon gods or the gods of uh, the colonists. And so when that uh, revelation was put together near the end of the story, it had been foreshadowed. And uh, if that's not done properly, it does feel like the audience has been tricked and told to believe something, to, to suspend their belief in a way that they weren't told they were going to have to at the beginning of the story. You said one reason that a lot of characters make it easy for the player to project their atheism onto is because the writers or producers they may themselves be atheists. Now, again, we've talked about how having more marginalized voices in the video game industry will result in different kinds of games. Do you feel that atheists themselves are represented well within the industry, not in the games, but among the employees and staff? Yeah, I would suspect that the industry itself has a disproportionately large number of atheists. So I don't think we need to, you know, raise the uh, the standards and demand more atheists making games. I think there's already enough of them, and many there are a lot of uh, prominent game designers that are outspoken atheists as well. So I don't think it's a question of diversity or tolerance. Uh, you know, we're already very well <laughs> along the way of having representation of atheists within the gaming and within the designer, and the player community. That's really interesting because I don't have a specific study to cite, but it seems to me that I've read over the years that as far as religious beliefs or lack thereof go, atheists are one of the most feared and hated group in America. For example, no political candidate would ever stand a prayer of getting into office if they were an avowed atheist. Yes, I, I think that uh, out of all the congressmen, there was one overt atheist at some point in the past. Within general society, yes, atheists are very persecuted. So there must be something about the gaming industry that is very welcoming to atheists. Any f theories as to what that might be? It, it might be the rational nature of dealing with technology, that you can't really sit down and pray that your code is right. You've got to go through the code and uh, view it from a very rational 
distinct point of view and, you know, find out what's going wrong with your project and do it properly. So it's something that it doesn't have wiggle room in terms of uh, logic and reason. That doesn't mean that there isn't any intersection, of course, with religion and gaming. For example, there's a website called Game Church, which I believe is all about that very topic. Yes, there are a lot of uh, a lot of religious gamers, um, but it's a disproportionately large number of atheists within the community, or at least a disproportionately large number of people who are open about their atheism. When I think about religion and video games, having grown up with Nintendo games, I th- think back to games like Final Fantasy IV, where references to religion were removed, like the white magic spell White was originally called Holy, or in the Super Nintendo game Act Razor by Enix, your main character is originally God, and they are changed to the Master. So, you know, in reality, we, in, at least in the United States of America, we have a separation of church and state. In video games, we used to have a separation of church and video games. Was there really any benefit to that, that Nintendo felt the need to engage in this? Well, I think it complicates the narrative. If you just want to have a game where you have a healing class, then you don't necessarily need to use a particular word to indicate why this particular kind of magic heals people. And so if you start dropping in specific religious uh, language into the, the game terminology, then it complicates you know, the story that you're trying to tell. And really you're just saying these guys in these outfits can cast healing spells, and that's all the player needs to know. You don't necessarily to need to put in a word that will have a very distinct connotation to an American audience. Do you think Nintendo was really trying to not dilute the narrative, or were they just afraid of offending people? Uh, Well, diluting the narrative is also a great way to avoid offending people. So keeping things vague will, you know, it it will avoid using the specific words that will get people angry as well. But what about the word God, which we use a lot in video games, God of War? In Catholicism, and again, I don't mean to call that out, but it's the faith that I'm most familiar with, God is a word with a capital G. And then in video games, we have dozens of gods, and we run around and we slaughter them. Does that dilute the notion of God? Well, a uh, a polytheistic religion does dilute the concept of one all-powerful god. And that's why it's God with a capital G in Catholicism and many other religions. And when you put in that lowercase g or plural gods, yes, it, it is something that can avoid offending people. Because they're saying, well, it's not my god, it's not the god, it's this fictional pantheon of multiple gods. And I've heard of even video games being recalled because they had the potential to offend religious groups because they misappropriate aspects of their culture. For example, I think there were quotations from the Quran found in the original game Little Big Planet back in 2008, and it had to be recalled. Uh, was it recalled for offending Muslims or called for offending non-Muslims? It says that the game's developers discovered that one of the background music tracks licensed from a record label for use in the game contains two expressions that can be found in the Quran, which m- some may find offensive. I'm quoting from an old New York Times article here. So I'm not sure necessarily who they were concerned about offending, just that it could be found offensive. Well, yeah, that's a, a danger that a lot of video game companies have to deal with that the panel were talking about experiences in being an atheist. Absolutely, but as we indicated, a person's individual beliefs can certainly influence the work they create as well. Yes, that that is uh, one of the problems that if you are uh, a non-believer and you have to write a group of characters that have a religion, or if you have to create a whole bunch of religions for your world, it can be very difficult to get into the mindset of the different religious sects. And if you have to create you know, nine different gods plus 19 different demigods for your world, then you have to draw on real-world mythology uh, or just presume what people might think rather than being able to write very subjectively. Yet at the same time, if you are a subscriber to a real-world religion and you need to describe or create an entire pantheon and rituals and practices for a fantasy world, I would hope that you wouldn't draw solely on your own beliefs because that kind of makes it difficult for the player to suspend their disbelief and engage in this fantasy world. Like if, as you just said, the hobologists were a clear metaphor for Scientology 
And it doesn't sound like they probably needed to do a lot of research for that or be very imaginative or creative. Uh, that's true. Uh, a lot of what they're doing is just taking existing Scientology material and repurposing it with fake names or drawing on real events. Uh, this was the time when you know Tom Cruise's Scientology was a big deal. And within the game, there are references to movie stars being uh, hubologists. Uh, but I think that both uh, Ken and Chris did a terrific job with actually representing religion within their games. Uh, during the panel, one of the things Ken mentioned was that he got a, a message from a woman who had converted to Mormonism after playing Bioshock Infinite, which it wasn't his intention to do that. It was his intention to represent the uh, fictional religion of Columbia as you know a negative influence, but he did such a earnest and authentic presentation of the, the baptism metaphor that someone converted uh, to Mormonism because of that. And Chris has also uh, done a, a number of projects that have worked with Mormonism. Uh, in a couple of the Fallout games, there is still Mormonism in the Midwest in the 23rd century. And he, uh, he does a very reverent uh, DLC pack that's based around one of the Mormon characters. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful experience to play. Uh, the first time I played it, I saw this Mormon guy who was leading one faction, and my immediate response as a player was, oh, this is the bad guy. I'm going to kill him and all of his followers. And then the next time I played it, I actually stopped and paid attention to what the NPCs were saying and realized, oh, this actually makes sense. This is the good guy. I'm going to do what this guy wants. Why did you assume he was the bad guy? Well, uh, being an atheist player, my immediate assumption was, oh, it's the religious kooks. They're going to want me to go do something or the other. And I didn't even bother giving them a chance. I just assumed uh, this must be my cue from the designer that this faction are the bad guys and the religious fanatics. Now, in the case of Ken Levine's customer who converted religions after playing his game, did he take that as a compliment to the quality of his story writing, or was his reaction more, no, you totally missed the point? <laughs> well, he didn't go into details with it, but, but he did point out that it was a surprise to him, and it wasn't his intention for people to play the first level of Bioshock Infinite and have a religious experience. The reason I asked about their particular religious persuasions is because you mentioned Scientology and Tom Cruise, and I have friends who will not patronize any film Tom Cruise is in because they don't want their dollars to trickle back to him and thus to his church. And I'm wondering, have you ever heard of an instance of a video game being boycotted either due to its religious contents or lack thereof or the religious persuasion of its creators or lack thereof? Well, I remember when the first Assassin's Creed game was announced, uh, and for players who haven't played that franchise, it its roots and its storyline date back to the assassins during the Crusades. So when it was first announced with its story and its setting, there were some people that were hostile to it because, you know, it's got to be an Al-Qaeda indoctrination simulator. And so people were a little hesitant about the franchise when it first appeared. And I'm sure there have been other cases. Um, I do recall a phony protest that was staged where uh, some people were paid to pretend to be religious fanatics and pretended to boycott some game, which I think was one of the Dante's Inferno uh, adaptations. So if people want to use real-world religions in their games, you know, Chris used Scientology in Fallout 2, that may not be the most respectful implementation of a real-world religion. Did this panel discuss how religion can be pulled into a fictional game in a respectful fashion? Um, yes, um, you know, both of them have done a pretty good job of, of actually representing the real world religions. Um, you know, Mormonism, both of them did a terrific job with that. Uh, but there, there's a hesitation there. Um, in, you know, specifically with both of them, we're a little hesitant to use real world religions. And also, uh, if you look at, um, uh, the Dragon Age franchise, you know, there's a very clear Catholic analogy there. So for the Dead Space games, uh, they use Unitology, and those developers have thoroughly denied that it's an actual spoof of Scientology. So there are a lot of developers that are just afraid to directly state, yes, this is based on a real-world religion. And again, is that because they don't want to offend anybody? Uh, they're afraid of offending people. They're afraid it's going to hurt their sales. They're afraid that they'll get sued outright by some organizations. What sort of feedback did you get from the audience? I imagine that you had a Q&A at this PAX panel. Uh, yes, we did. Um, 
one of the more interesting questions was someone that asked about, uh, do we think we'll ever see a game with a satanic protagonist? Which, uh, you know, the question kind of threw the three panelists. Um, there have been a lot of games where your character uses dark magic. Uh, there are a lot of games where, you know, your character has demonic powers that you've got because you're half demon. And uh, the Devil May Cry series uh, uses this repeatedly, but there's a lot of other games where you, you know, summon your demonic abilities uh, to fight, you know, bad guys who turn out to be the angelic hosts. So uh, there are games that use those references, but to have a game where your character is overtly a Satanist fighting against all that's good and holy in the world, uh, that's something we hadn't seen, and we thought it was an interesting question. Now, that question itself would require some terminology to be defined, because from what little I know, Satanism isn't necessarily the worship of Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness, and the prince of lies. It is sort of like the antithesis of religion. Is that your understanding? That was my understanding of, of what the question asker was asking us about. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of games, uh, we mentioned God of War, where your character is irreverent and fights the gods, and there are plenty of Japanese role-playing games where the end boss is God himself, and you have to level up to level 999 and, you know, defeat God. Uh, but I don't think I've seen something where, from a story perspective, your character is the, antith the antithesis of all that's good in the world, and you're going out to just you know, be evil for the sake of being evil. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what Satanism is necessarily either, but I do understand that uh, b we certainly do have video games where you are an anti-hero, but that's still something different. Uh, the closest I can think of is a PAX East panel I did called, and uh, one of the panelists was the developer of a game called Quest for Infamy. And again, in that game, you're not going around murdering everybody. It's just sort of a parody of Quest for Glory, where you're trying to become a hero, an old point-and-click adventure game. And you just want to do a game where maybe you're not such a great guy. <laughs> yeah, there, there are quite a few games that have a, a negative karma path or a dark side of the force path. And uh, often those will have a... a dark sense of humor to them where you know the dialogue that you have if you're being evil is so flamboyantly and theatrically evil that it comes across as funny rather than you know an indictment of the traditional morality system right we have the the light and the dark side in some video games and then we have just games where you can be a complete anarchist and do whatever you want like postal or grand theft auto yes and and even then, you know, usually the game is you have the option of going on the rampage or a couple of missions where you're told to go on a rampage. Uh, the upcoming game, Hatred, hasn't really divulged a lot about its storyline and its specifics. Uh, and I don't think there's any supernatural or satanic element to it. But it does seem to be a game based around doing things that are conventionally bad uh, just for the fun of being the bad guy. And that's the game that was originally pulled from Steam, correct? Yes. And it actually looks like a fun game where you're doing pretty much the same thing that you're doing in, you know, Grand Theft Auto when you're on a rampage, but it just doesn't seem to have a don't go on a rampage option. A game like Hatred really doesn't contribute to the effort and desire of many gamers to dispel this bad public image that we have. We want to say, look, video games can be a wonderful narrative medium. We can have games like That Dragon Cancer or Life is Strange. Or you can have games like Hatred, which reinforce this myth that video games cause violence. Well, it, we haven't actually had a chance to see much about Hatred, so I don't want to judge it or analyze it too much until it comes out. And you know, there is, of course, value in you know telling a narrative about someone that's doing bad things. There, there have been a lot of movies that get in the mind of the psycho killer without without saying that this is a good person, without trying to justify or redeem the character. And a lot of people don't want to see a story that tells that. But uh, there is you know, artistic value in presenting uh, stories from this person's point of view and from you know, analyzing what might make a person do these things. That's true, and I don't mean to advocate for that game being pulled from Steam. I don't want to become a censor, but... It will be curious to see what this game is actually like and what it contributes to the culture and library of video games.
Yeah, I'm I'm actually quite excited for it. Uh, I interviewed this, uh, the designers of it recently. So based on my conversation with them, I, I do want to see you know what the end product is like, and you know, and then have a real close look at what it means to the culture. Was that interview for an article or a podcast? Uh, that's for an article that is going to appear online uh, in the near future. Excellent. When it comes out, send me a link. I'll include it in the show notes. Uh, another interesting question that someone asked during the panel was about uh, uh, games that put the player in a situation where they experience religious persecution from the perspective of someone whose religion is being uh, actively uh, persecuted or outlawed entirely. And what was the response to that question? Uh, well, I actually leaped in before Ken or Chris could speak, and I pointed out that Skyrim has a, a major subplot that one of the nine gods has been outlawed in uh, you know, the land of Skyrim, and it's Skyrim's main god, Talos. So if you play that game using a Nordic character and roleplay in a certain way, you will see a great deal of uh, persecution of your beliefs. And you'll see other characters who share your religious views, who are still talking about the old ways and saying we must bring back the worship of Talos. And so if you choose to roleplay that game as a devout Nordic worshiper of Talos, you'll experience what it's like to have your religious, uh, your religion be outlawed entirely and to have a hostile culture trying to destroy your own. Speaking of a hostile culture, as we discussed, atheists are often feared and persecuted. Were there any questions from people who were angry about this topic? Uh, no, we actually had a very polite conversation with the audience. No one was there to heckle or to be hostile. I did see a, a Reddit thread where people seemed to misinterpret the nature of the panel, where they thought that it was more of a uh, political diversity panel about, you know, help, help the atheists are being persecuted. And, you know, that particular Reddit thread had a lot of people hostile to the notion of doing an atheism panel, but they hadn't actually read the description. It was really more about narrative design and world building. Oh, that's interesting. That didn't even occur to me that this was a diversity panel, which it wasn't, but <laughs> I, I wanted to go to the panel because I read the description. I wanted to hear. I mean, it says right in the title, Atheism in Video Games. <laughs> yeah, uh, th there are a lot of people who are just down on the concept of uh, diversity in games in general. But, you know, they're just down on the concept of atheism in gaming in general, and they're happy to lump in anything that's outside the norm and to uh, get preemptively outraged over things they haven't seen yet. But why was the panel called Atheism in Video Games and not Religion in Video Games? Because it seemed like you spent a lot of time discussing that, too. I wanted to address it from the perspective of an atheist uh, rather than the perspective of a religious person, uh, specifically to look at issues that are related to you know, a non-believer or a world of non-belief, rather than having uh, real-world religions addressed in it. Because we were concerned with fictional and fantasy religions and just magical worlds in general rather than specific real-world religions. Was this panel recorded anywhere, either audio or video? Uh, we did not get an official recording of it. I wouldn't be surprised if someone in the audience recorded it, but I haven't seen that surface online yet. So since we've been talking about atheism, there is one quick aside I want to bring up, and which is that last month at Harvard University from the Humanist Society there, they bestowed a Humanist of the Year award on Anita Sarkeesian, who commented that some of the uh, criticism and some of the more hateful criticism she gets is from people who don't really understand what humanism is or even what feminism is. They say that, uh, oh, I'm not about equality for women, I'm about equality for everybody regardless of gender. And there seems to be some overlap between humanism and atheism. Is that fair to say? Um, there is, um, but I don't think in this case people are using the term humanism correctly. I think they're trying to imply that focusing on the feminine instead of all humans uh, is anti-humanist, which uh, I think is a, a semantical argument and not a very strong one. So does being an atheist say anything about a person's beliefs? I mean, some people might interpret atheism as saying more about what you don't believe than what you do believe, or at least humanism, there is something to that. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's definite that it's a question of what you don't believe rather than having some specific 
guideline of what atheists are supposed to think. So I think these people that are attacking her for uh, out of an atheist viewpoint or a humanist viewpoint um, are just trying to make an argument where there isn't one. Hmm. Well, it seems like people who are intent on being hateful on the internet don't always need a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think we are just seeing people that are being mean to her and trying to find a new reason to be mean to her. Yeah, it's very easy on the internet to forget that people are people, unfortunately, regardless of whatever they believe. Well, we have covered a lot of ground today, atheism in games and in the industry, and I love the conversation you had with Ken and Chris. Was there anything that you wanted to talk to them about that I know how quickly an hour at PAX East can run out that you wanted to talk about that you just didn't get to? Yes, um, we had uh, had a very brief discussion on using atheism as a tangible in-game mechanic, and we kind of glossed over that subject very quickly without going into it. But uh, I think in a fantasy role-playing game, um, uh, atheism could be a useful uh, statistic boost within the game. Uh, There was a game called Kingdoms of Amalur, The Reckoning, where you can choose from a big list of gods, and one of your options is no god at all, which gave you a specific boost, and just like any other uh, religious view would. So that was a a very very unusual take. Uh, And there are a few other games where you can role-play atheism, and you'll be given a choice by one of the gods or demigods. You can do this, you can do that, and if you choose the irreverent or non-believing viewpoint, you'll get a different quest item. Uh, So that was something that I would have liked to have gone in depth more uh, with them, and with other game designers in general, about having some kind of specific in-game bonus for playing as an atheist character. uh, That your disbelief makes you slightly resistant to magic. But those bonuses are not greater or lesser than those bestowed by different religions. It's just different. Games that we've seen this mechanic used, they, they always try to balance it out. But it would be interesting to see a, uh, a designer that makes the specific point of saying, you know, if you renounce all the gods, you gain some greater bonus. Or it would be interesting to see a game designer say that your disbelief is not as great as actively worshipping one of the gods. So different designers could play with it in different ways and make their own commentary. But I would love to see more games that actively address uh, a role-playing choice where the player gets to choose atheism and have some tangible in-game reward or effect from making that choice. Kingdoms of Amalur, that's the game from 38 Studios with Kurt Schilling and Ari Salvatore, correct? Yes. I forget, was that an MMO? Is it still available? Uh, That was not an MMO. That was just a standard uh, role-playing game. Uh, There's a demo out there that lets you go through the character-building system as well. So if you're just curious about the the stat boost, you can grab the demo, make your character, and compare the different bonuses. And, of course, this could also apply to... Um, you know, science fiction games, it would necessarily need to be magic, but if your character is a scientist who is a, a skeptic and doesn't believe in alien mind control or doesn't believe in other things, then the character could be resistant to alien mind control, even though it really exists within the game. The mere fact that your character is a skeptic or a non-believer gives them a resistance to something. That'd be phenomenal. If you were to do this, if you were to do this panel again at another convention, who would you want on it? Uh, well, we had hoped to get someone from Bioware to come in and talk about um, the, the Dragon Age games. Uh, and we had also hoped to get um, one of the writers of the Tomb Raider series to come in and talk to us about Lara Croft's adventures, where in many of her games she's a, a non-believer or a skeptic, and uh, the use of uh, introducing supernatural to supernatural elements to a game that doesn't have them at the beginning of the story. So if we do it again, it'd be great to have someone from Square Enix uh, or Crystal Dynamics come in to talk with us about Tomb Raider or to have um, someone from Bioware come in to talk about uh, the Dragon Age series as well as some of the religious metaphors in their science fiction games like Mass Effect. I've seen you at PAX East each of the last three years. Are there other conventions that people can find you at? Oh, yes. Uh, I'll be at the Games for Change Festival in April. I'll be doing one talk on uh, transgender issues in games, and another talk on adding uh, gameplay elements to live theater. 
Uh, I'm also most likely going to be at the Special Edition NYC in uh, June in New York City. It's a comic book convention. I do a series of panels that address uh, theater in uh, or theater that's inspired by comic books and another series of panels on transgender characters in comic books. And I'm also going to be talking about cosplay at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens in uh, at the end of April at their Cherry Blossom Festival. Uh, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need a nap. Yeah, wow. I hadn't even heard about Games for Change, but it looks like it is April 21st to the 23rd and 25th in New York City. Uh, yes, both of my talks are going to be on the morning of Wednesday the 22nd. And then that immediate weekend on the 25th, I will be at the Berlin Botanic Gardens talking about uh, cosplay. Wonderful. If I wasn't already going to New York City for different games earlier next month, I might consider making another trip down to New York City for Games for Change. <laughs> Are you going to different games? No, I'm. Uh, this week there there've been a lot of games that came out uh, this week, and a lot of stuff announced um, in the last couple of weeks. So, as a you know game journalist, I'm just going to be playing and reviewing a lot of games uh, for the rest of the month and most of April. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to episode two of Life is Strange, which at the time of this recording lands tomorrow. Oh, yes. And if you go to automaton.am, you'll be able to see my interview with the development team uh, as well as my review. Oh, excellent. Uh, have you gotten early access to it that you already have a review out on launch day? Uh, no, but I had a uh, early preview of it uh, at PAX East. So I based my interview with the team on that and I'll probably have the review up um, you know, within the next uh, 48 hours. Oh, that's phenomenal. I, unfortunately, I need to wait till I get home from work to load the game up, and then I can start playing it. It sounds like <laughs> you don't have those obstacles. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a work-at-home uh, freelancer. Uh, I mean, I know that has its challenges. I have worked with many freelancers as an editor, and I would not have the stamina to be rejected as often as they probably do and to <laughs> so many doors. I admire you for doing so. Uh, well, thank you. I, I'd actually... Uh, I, there's a grad student uh, at Columbia who's doing a master's paper on video game journalism, uh, and he interviewed me a few weeks ago. And the paper, uh, I just got the first look at the paper today, and he talks about the, the trials of being a freelance game journalist, <laughs> citing me as an example. I hope it was a positive example. Uh, yes, yes, it, it, was, it was a very positive example. He, he, he depicted me in an you know, inaccurate uh, yet positive way. I have an adjunct faculty position at a local college, and one of my students wants to interview me because I consider this a very high compliment. He said, Ken, you are where I want to be. <laughs> and uh, I, I think he might be romanticizing where I am when he says that. Uh, but but it's, it's nice that we can, even our, our own little ways, inspire people to enter the industry. So remind our listeners where they can find you online. You've mentioned automaton.am, and are you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Charles Batters B with no Y on the end. Uh, I write for Complex. You can go to complex.com in their pop culture section. I also write for uh, Dusty Cartridges. Uh, you can see me at charlesbattersb.com. My theater reviews are posted on Theater for Nerds as well. Theater for Nerds. Wonderful. Huh. I The college where I am on the faculty is very much a theater school in Boston, and I didn't know that there was a website for nerds who are into theater. Although, do you just mean that in the sense that anyone who's really into something is a nerd of that thing? Uh, no, it, it's a website that I created. Um, <laughs> we can do another podcast on that, but um, the, the the reason behind it was that I got tired of uh, legitimate theater critics um, doing uninsightful reviews of plays based on comic books or video games or science fiction. Uh, and the, the catalyst was I went to see uh, a play um, that was written by a guy in the comic industry, and his play was a shameless ripoff of Squadron Supreme and Watchmen. And this was before the Watchmen movie came out. And he overtly plagiarized both of them. And uh, I asked my editor if I could do a review of it, and he assigned the review to another uh, critic. And this other critic just talked about how wonderful it is to see mature superheroes and you know an insightful take on it. And if I'd written the review, I would have said it's overt plagiarism of these two projects to the point that I knew every plot point that was coming. 
Uh, and so after doing that, I thought, you know, I just got to make an entire website devoted just to nerdy theater. And, uh, and when I first started, I thought I'd never find a way to make a post once a week. And, um, now a couple years into it, I get, you know, more press invites that I can possibly go to from just all the comic book and science fiction and horror and video game related theater. Charles, I had no idea this was a side of you. I think I'm falling in love. <laughs> I need to check out this website. I'm so glad that such a resource exists. Oh, cool. Uh, well, theater nerds. Um, the uh, group that I'm doing my talk with at Games for Change, we're going to record a, a long podcast on uh, you know gaming theater, and that's going to be on uh, Theater for Nerds in mid-April, right before uh, right before we do the talk at Games for Change. Excellent. Well, I will link up as many of these things as I can find in our show notes. So if anybody wants to find you online or in person, you will not be hard to find. Yes, I'm easily stalkable. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. It's been fascinating talking about this topic. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm happy to do it. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. I hadn't realized that uh, people knew I existed until I got this random call from someone. He was like, oh, yeah, at the NYU Game Center, they talk about you all the time. Well, with all the presentations you're giving, I think it's kind of hard to avoid you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am compulsively productive. What a curse. These last couple minutes aren't going to actually make it on the air, though, aren't they? Are they? (laughs)